This happened to my mother in 1991, in a known army town in Queensland, Australia. I apologize for the length, but hope you will stay to read the entire thing. It won't disappoint. I was around at the time. Even though I was a child, I do remember bits and pieces. I'll try to do my mother's story justice here. So as I said, it's 1991. Somalia has erupted into civil war requiring UN intervention. Soldiers from our town are deployed, which leaves women and children home alone. Not a big deal now, lots of single moms out there, but back in 91, it was a rarer thing. This all started with a prowler alert, so the MPs alerted certain areas that someone has been spotted sneaking around yards and under houses late at night. We became aware of it when I screamed in horror at the man's face on the other side of my window. Not a big deal, until you hear that these houses were typical Queenslander homes, so the house was on the second story, and underneath was wide open only for slatting surrounding it. This man had to have climbed the side of the house and been hanging on my window, two stories up, just to peer in. MPs, military police, were deployed, found him down the street, and issued a firm move-on order. So two weeks later, and the prowler warnings are wrapping up, he's getting dangerous, harassing women in their laundries, in the area under the houses, following them to their doors, up their external stairs at the rear of their properties, and watching them from the street, as well as pinching underwear off of clotheslines. Residents are being warned to check their wheelie bins before bringing them in as prowlers may be hiding in them to gain access to properties. Scary stuff for young mothers with young children whose husbands are deployed. State police at this time have minimal jurisdiction as the properties were owned by the army at the time. MPs just decided the women were paranoid because their hubbies were away. Another week goes by and my mother notices a man in her backyard. She's concerned, but my mother is as tough as guts. As time progresses, he's at the same shopping center, watching her, walking down her street, just everywhere she seems to be. She reports every incident, but nothing is done. She gets home one day, and something isn't right. You know, when you hear people say they just have a gut feeling. She did. She gets inside to discover the place has been gone through, and nothing taken. She calls the MPs, and as she is looking out the front window, sees that same man creep out of her garage. He was still there when she got home. I was with her at the time. I think that's what saved her that day. Again, nothing is done. She is brushed off as being paranoid. This is where my mom changes her demeanor. She pursed her lips and took a breath, tensing. Mom said some might call her crazy, but she's never had this experience before or since. She said she could almost hear him, hear his thoughts. She knew with every cell in her body she was in danger. She said she could almost feel him nearby, looking at her, into her soul. 
She just knew he was there in her yard looking up at her, somehow knowing exactly where in the house she was at that very moment, despite the blackout curtains and lights off. So mom calls the police again. They don't even bother coming out. I should note, she wasn't the only one that reported a prowler. Mom packed me up the very next day, and we were on a bus interstate to stay with relatives until my father returned from deployment. She just knew in her gut she was going to be murdered, and police weren't taking anything seriously. So by 92, the deployment comes to an end, and we return home. Mom, of course, had kept in contact with other wives and had heard some rumors swirling. We arrived home to my mother retelling to me now of a card shoved under her door from detectives. It was an apology that her complaints weren't taken seriously, but she and the neighborhood are now safe. However, two women are dead. Joelle Denoy, 29, and Jennifer Malley, 40. There was rape that had taken place. Both women were shot with a 22 pistol, and Jennifer's throat had also been cut. Later, a siege in a Brisbane park, 1,300 kilometers away, ended with the shooting suicide of one Jason Michael Knights, 19. The pistol he had shot himself with was connected directly to the two murdered women, leaving shattered families and a community that had lost its country feel and trust in my mother who has never been the same since. If you look hard enough, there is an article from the Sydney Morning Herald to verify, though you do not need to subscribe to read it. It's hard to find any other detailed information, as rumor has it. Uh, the killer was related to a higher-up in the army. It was kept very hushed, in a way in which one, when my mother tried to gain more information about it, she was told nothing of the sort ever took place. She asked me, with my techno know-how, to delve into the internet to find it. So that's my mother's story of her encounter with a deranged double murderer who stalked her and an entire community for months, paying particular care to his prey and biding his time to strike. For some backgrounds, I'm a 24-year-old woman. I'm not the most intimidating person out there, but I can hold my own if necessary. My dad was a police officer most of my life, and he taught me some tricks if I ever get into a situation I need to get out of. When I was 17, I was dating this guy that was pretty abusive. Within two months of us dating, he had already proposed. At me, thinking I was grown up, I said yes. Now I realized that was a big mistake. He was twenty at the time, so I had no clue why he wanted to date someone who was still in high school. After I said yes to his proposal, he started getting very controlling. He would always text me after I got out of school since he got off work at the same time. He would say he was coming over and that I didn't have a choice. He would show up at my house while I was doing homework, forced me into his truck, and drive me around until almost midnight every night. Eventually, I got a part-time job at a fast-food restaurant in my town. He was not happy about this. He was convinced I was going to cheat on him. He would show up at every single shift I worked and caused a scene. He ended up getting me fired from there. 
After I'd finally had enough, I broke up with him, returned his ring and all the things he bought me, and blocked his number. He showed up at my house in the middle of the night and cut my brake line on my car. He also slashed three of my tires. Luckily, my car insurance allowed for towing, so I had my car towed to a local auto repair shop. That ended up costing me over $1,000 in damage. A few weeks later, a police officer came to my house, saying that someone had made a complaint against me for harassment. They claimed they needed my phone to see my activity. I agreed and let them see all of my communication. They said they had everything they needed and left. It turns out my ex had claimed I had been harassing him when I wasn't. But once the police officer saw that, they took my name out of their system. A month later, I hadn't heard from my ex, so I was feeling safer. I had started a new job, and when I had started, my ex somehow found it. He came to my job and started harassing me and my co-workers. I eventually told my boss what had happened between us in the past. My boss banned him from the property, and my schedule was changed so he couldn't see me. My ex found out my new schedule, but I was luckily sent to the back for training so it would look like I wasn't there. After about six months of this, he stopped showing up, and I had found another job. I had graduated high school and was pregnant with my daughter. I found out that my ex was a registered sex offender, and since I had just turned 17 when we started dating, he was charged with a violation of probation. Moral of the story, guys are weird, and never date someone controlling who stalks you when you make them mad. My boyfriend, Jeff, and I lived in a semi-sketchy part of Tucson, Arizona. It's not gunfire every night type of sketchy, uh, more uh, I took my dog on a walk and came face to face with the canine unit searching for a murder suspect in my apartment complex, sketchy. It's also relevant to note that this is a dark sky community so our streetlights are incredibly dim. Jeff and I decided around 11.30pm to go out and buy water. The tap here is downright undrinkable, so we live off of gallon jugs, and we'd run out earlier that day. The Albertsons was directly across the street from us, so we figured it would be a quick errand. We went in, grabbed a couple of jugs each, and went back out to the car. I don't remember what we were chatting about, but it was a light-hearted conversation. My car had manual locks, so I waited on the passenger side while Jeff set his jugs of water on the roof of the car, unlocked his own door, then grabbed the jugs. His face, which had previously been hidden by the gallons, startled me. He had an expression I'd never seen before, fixated just past my shoulder, looking somewhere between angry and stressed. He was standing rigid, staring. What the fuck do you think you're doing? He said loudly, and for a confusing split second I thought he was talking to me. I turned and felt my stomach drop. A man I'd never seen before was a few feet behind me, almost at my back. I hadn't heard him walk up. I hadn't seen him out of my peripheral. I'd had no idea this man was behind me, and had no idea where he'd come from as the dim parking lot was mostly empty. The thing that was the most frightening was his reaction. He didn't pause, 
didn't step back. He actually kept moving towards me and my still locked car door. I learned that night that there is a very significant difference between a person that cannot hear you or is ignoring you and a person that is not even registering that you've spoken. That scared the shit out of me. That blankness made him seem inhuman. The man had just kept moving forward slowly and made no sign that he had heard Jeff, who was still yelling. Hey, get the fuck back, asshole. At this point, my boyfriend ran around the car, unlocked my door, and practically shoved me inside before slamming the door shut and locking it. At this point, I expected the man to run, but he simply turned around and walked to another car before cupping his face and peering into the windows. Judging by his bedraggled appearance and lack of keys and belongings, it was clear he was looking for things to steal. Our neighborhood is prone to car thieves. Get the fuck out of here! Jeff was still yelling, and I could tell he was about to go after the guy who had started ambling towards a different vehicle. My boyfriend is a great guy, but can be prone to hot-headedness when he feels threatened, and I knew that he had a pocket knife with him at all times. At that point, I could tell I was on the verge of a panic attack, so I rolled down the window and told him to get in the damn car so we could go home. We parked, and I basically ran up the stairs, drew all the blinds, and double-checked all the doors were locked before I started crying. I'm 5'2", 115 pounds, and although I did cross-country in high school, I'm not overly fast or strong. I had had no idea anyone was behind me and would never know why he was trying to get to me. And if Jeff hadn't been there, I could easily imagine a number of ways that situation could have devolved. It was weeks before I felt comfortable going back to Albertson's after dark, and never alone. 